0: The federal election left a bad taste in the mouths of many voters and has left us right back where we started. We're facing a minority parliament with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau getting another term in office. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Chris Nardi joins me to discuss the factors that led us to another minority for the Liberals, the post-election relationship between Trudeau and Quebec's premier. And whether Arono Tools' future as Conservative leader is in jeopardy. Don't forget, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. We're even on Amazon Music now. Don't forget to leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Chris, it was a wild night in Canadian politics, you know, leading up to the election. There was lots of talk that, you know, we may not have results even on Tuesday night. It's so close. It'll be down to the wire. We'll be counting mail-in ballots to see who actually forms government. But in the end, we're right back where we started. It's back to the future. It is, you know, back to August 15th. We have a liberal minority. The conservatives have about the same seats that they went into things with the NDP. About Like, no one really moved all that much. What does it say about the parties and their message and the electorate? What does it say about us that, you know, we're back to where we started?
1: Hmm. Well, I'd start with uh, what it says about the parties and leadership candidates. And I think that my, my thoughts are kind of best summarized by a very interesting column that I read in uh, Quebec's La Presse the morning of after the election, where it was basically qualified as the election of the losers. <laughs> and essentially, the principle behind this column was that, all the leaders lost. Everyone lost. Trudeau lost his bet for a majority government, which he, you know, clearly was his intent from the beginning of this election. Like he called the election when he was soaring much higher in polls. And there's a marked downfall of his support from the moment he called that election. If you look at polling aggregators, his party support just, just gradually dwindles from that moment on. Mm-hmm. That's why Trudeau's one of the losers in here. O'Toole is the loser because he didn't manage to capitalize on people's frustration of having this, you know, quote, unnecessary election, frustration towards, you know, some perceived failings of the Liberal government that Mr. O'Toole obviously paraded often during the election. Uh, he wasn't able to capitalize. They basically are exactly where they were. And in fact, it seems, and obviously we still have many votes left to be counted, particular mail-in ballots, but it seems like even, you know, popular support has diminished ever so slightly in terms of percentage for O'Toole. So didn't make any big headways in the Greater Toronto area, which was something that his party was really hoping to do by shifting more towards the center. Mm -hmm. No big gains in Quebec, uh, some losses in British Columbia. So O'Toole is part of the losers. Jugmeet Singh lost because his party didn't make those big, big gains that polls seem to show he was poised to make. You know, he really, really aggressively flirts with that younger demographics, millennials and then Generation Z that comes after them. And early numbers seem to indicate that for all that, you know, flirting that he did with those. That youth vote, it just didn't get out to vote on election day. And so a party that was, you know, expected to make big gains out in BC, possibly in Toronto, maybe a few seats out in Quebec. Basically, may not, more or less. They seem to have added one to their tally, again, preliminary results-ish. But that is not at all what was expected of Singh, uh, who obviously argued throughout the campaign that he wasn't campaigning to be the balance of power. He was campaigning to be prime minister. Mm -hmm. The Bloc Québécois lost because... Very early in the election, leader Yves-François Blanchet made the unusual move of actually publicly stating what his expectation, what his objective was for this election. And that was to jump from 32 seats to 40 seats. And, you know, as of now, he's leading or has won in 34 only, and that could go back down to 32. There's some two extremely tight races in Quebec now that will only be decided much later this week, presumably. And so, you know, he failed to reach his own self-stated objective that he made very public, and thus that is what his campaign will be evaluated against. I think it you know, goes without saying why Annemie Paul's Greens and why Maxime Bernier's PPC are the big losers as well. You know, they made no gains whatsoever, lost in the case of Annemie Paul, and she finished 4 in her own writing of Toronto Centre. So a lot of losers in this election and very, very few positives. And now kind of shifting over to what does this say about us as an electorate, you know, the the royal we in this case. And and I think that, you know, it was very much a translation of, of fatigue, political fatigue, elections fatigue, pandemic fatigue, early numbers seem to show near record, if not record low turnout in this election, people were disinterested. They were disengaged. We saw it throughout the entire campaign. I saw it mm-hmm. while you know working and, and traveling through Quebec, particularly early in this election, people weren't interested. And it was very hard to get people interested when there's such an influx, a massive influx of information that we're getting, like we are during this COVID-19 pandemic with return to school, with the fourth wave. Now, you're based in Alberta. Lord knows we've been talking about COVID a whole lot out in Alberta and many other provinces. So this election result is really symptomatic of how people felt, which was at the end of the election versus the beginning, which is nothing had changed. No one was convinced for the most part either way by any leader and everyone just kind of lost.
0: Were there any surprises for you out of the campaign over the last five weeks was it a surprise to you that we ended up back where we were? Or is this something kind of once the campaign coalesced, like hit its stride that this is the result that we were going to get for better or worse?
1: There were a few surprises for sure. I think for the first part, so obviously let's talk about Aaron O'Toole on the Conservatives, who took a, a relatively major and, and to a certain extent, maybe a little bit unexpected shift towards the center, right? They really centered themselves and sought to steal some of that progressive, you know, center-right, progressive-ish, you know, vote that still supports, you know, public funding of programs, for example, combating combat change through, you know, one version or another of of, uh, carbon tax and all that. And, you know, one of the interesting races that people were looking at was how successful that strategy would be in seducing more voters in the greater Toronto area. And the answer, looking at the map, you know, right in front of me is as the GTA is just, just a flood of red. There's not a single seeming as of now blue riding in that whole area. And that is a huge loss for Aaron O'Toole, who really only managed to keep very, very, very safe ridings like Thornhill, for example. And King Vaughan was probably one of the bigger the wins that they made. That was one from the Liberals. But otherwise, it is a complete liberal flood of the GTA. And that obviously is going to be hard to explain for O'Toole, who took that shift towards the centre, specifically in the hopes of winning more ridings in those really dense, populated, and, and very riding-rich areas. Apart from that, what stunned me, and, and I mentioned this, I, I followed Quebec very closely throughout this election, is, is in fact, we always talk about Quebec as being a very battleground riding. There are 78 seats in there and many waves Happen in Quebec. Let's think about the orange wave in 2011 for the NDP, for example, that block wave in 2019, where they, you know, they jumped from 10 seats to 32. Mm-hmm. It's a very variable electorate. But stunningly enough, this election barely, and I say a handful, I want to say five or less, and it could end up being v- much less depending on a, on a few uh, seats that are still to be called. Five or less seats changed hands. In this election, it is otherwise a carbon copy of the 2019 election result in terms of incumbent MPs being re-elected. That's very unusual mm-hmm. for that province, and I think is really just a symptom of the general sense of this entire election. Other than that, admittedly, I was surprised at how little success Jagmeet Singh's NDP had in not even exceeding the uh, 30 seat threshold. They were polling relatively well. They were polling much better than in 2019. They were flirting with about 20% support across the country. That could have very well translated into 30 plus seats, but it didn't. And they're really kind of stagnated pretty much exactly the amount that was in 2019. For a man for throughout most of the campaign was getting the most, let's say, positive reviews from pollsters and, and from uh, Canadians who are responding to polls, I expected that his magnetism that he showed a lot of throughout the campaign would reflect better in his party's results. And it just did.
0: As you mentioned before, you, you spent some time in Quebec during the campaign. You've been following you know Quebec politics for for quite some time. One of the things I found interesting was that Quebec's premier, Francois Legault, he talked up Aaron O'Toole at the expense of Justin Trudeau called Justin Trudeau's platform bad for Quebec, suggested voters should vote for the Conservatives. Why do you suppose voters didn't listen? Is it the same issue that Aaron O'Toole may have had with Ontario voters trying to convince them that he's a moderate politician and he leads a moderate Conservative party and they just weren't buying it? It's a good question.
1: Legault seems to have possibly ever so slightly overassessed his influence in non-provincial jurisdictions. <laughs> and uh, and it is ironic for, for a man who argued throughout the entire campaign that the federal government should have no role in provincial jurisdictions and in fact called the NDP, the Liberals and the Greens platform dangerous for Quebec because he considered them to be much more interventionist than the Conservatives and obviously the Bloc who doesn't really have a platform per se, they can't really form government, they have priorities only. Mm I think also part of it is just the liberals presented signed deals with Quebec that were really interesting. You know, there was that famous six billion dollars no strings attached agreement that basically sent all that money to Quebec in lieu of that childcare program that they're trying to instore and every other problem that ten dollar a day daycare program. Quebec already has that system, right? It's it's it basically the federal system is based on Quebec's current existing system. So that transfer, I think, was very popular and people saw it as a potential to be created. Creating, you know, the tens of thousands of new daycare spots that the province is sorely lacking. Does Legault regret jumping basically headfirst into that campaign? And, you know, for many days, basically campaigning against the Liberals? Uh, very possibly the day after the election, he was asked, do you regret it? And he said, no, I'd do it all again if i could and if i if i needed to i'd do it all the same way <laughs> and i think part of his calculation and the biggest unknown hypothetical here is did his coming out potentially prevent Bigger gains for the Liberals in Quebec. Potentially, did it stall a majority? You know, is that the difference? Uh, You know, the Liberals are currently sitting at about 158 seats, where they're leading or or have won. Uh, That's 12 away from the 170 needed for a majority. Did you know Legault must be thinking, well, maybe what I said, you know, flipped some seats to the Bloc or to the Conservatives. Maybe that was, you know, he did in, in his mind things that he played King Unmaker. In a sense. Right. I also think that it speaks, you know, the fact that he says he'd do it all again and he has no concerns. You know, I, I honestly, Dave, I would have paid money to be in the room on Tuesday morning when Legault and Trudeau spoke to each other on the phone because they, they <laughs> said that they, they had that conversation. I would I would have paid very good money to hear that conversation, because I honestly think you could have put a six pack of beer in the middle of the room and it would have been cold by the end. That's how frigid that call, I suspect, was. Legault might have just very much said, I have nothing to lose. Our, our relationship is already relatively strained, I think, uh, on many files because the Trudeau Liberals have expressed a lot of interest in bringing in federal, let's say, legislation or regulation in, in very provincial jurisdictions, such as, for example, new standards for long-term care homes or sending money with strings attached in increased health transfers. those Strings attached is probably the things that Legault is allergic to the most politically. Mm -hmm. So I think it also kind of speaks to the quality of the relationship that those two have right now, which is clearly
0: strained. Do you think also that Legault may know that he's in a position where he can get away with it because in the back of his mind, he knows that Justin Trudeau has called himself a Quebecois. He's talked about being, you know, a defender of Quebec. And he also has to have support from the, either the NDP or the bloc to maintain his hold on government. And without that support, especially of the blocker, or without the support of some MPs from Quebec, he loses. And so no matter what Legault says, Trudeau is still going to try and not pander, but show favor in a way to Quebec.
1: I think Legault certainly feels like he's a little bit like Thanos in The Avengers. He is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> and he does feel like that. And, and we saw it throughout the entire campaign. There wasn't a single a federal party leader who didn't try to cozy up to who didn't try to curry favor with him, either directly, you know, like O'Toole's Conservatives did by, you know, putting out a specific Quebec platform by promising to not infringe into provincial jurisdictions, or even to transfer more powers to the provinces, notably to Quebec. Other party leaders, for example, re- you know, were very dodgy on what they would do, you know, would they reduce, you know, provincial powers. Overall, what we saw was that every leader was trying to really curry favor with Legault, who is immensely popular in the province. Mm -hmm. And I think Legault knew that. He knew that without necessarily maybe being in that position of kingmaker, he was the cutest girl at the dance in a sense, right? And everyone was trying to cozy up and, and look like, hey, we're best friends, we're best friends. The Conservatives uh, certainly seemed to have won that date and that final you know, slow dance at the end of the evening, but it didn't make them prom queen or prom king, but it did probably gone to them favor. I don't think it hurt the Conservatives at all that that Legault came out and, and supported Erin O'Toole's platform. It couldn't have hurt at all. Uh, but it, yeah, it certainly didn't have the beneficial effect that Legault probably hoped for, that Erin O'Toole certainly prayed for. But ultimately, you know, Legault said today, a majority of Quebec voted blue. Uh, and that's obviously referring not only to the Conservatives blue, but the Bloc Quebec was lighter blue. So he still thinks that it was a job well done.
0: Now, looking ahead to the future, Justin Trudeau, still the prime minister of Canada, presumably for as long as he wants, unless we start to see growing unrest within the party and cabinet ministers who may want to take a shot at his leadership. But for right now, he's the prime minister. But looking at the other opposition leaders, if we see another election in the next 18 months, will there be different people in those positions? I mean, I assume that Maxime Bernier is the be all and end all of the PPC and He'll still be around. I assume that Annamie Paul probably won't be leader because she lost a bid for her seat and she was facing outright hostility from within her own party. And then you look at Yves-Francois Blanchette, who didn't win as many seats as he hoped to, but does he stick around? Does Jugmeet Singh stick around? And does Aaron O'Toole face criticism or a push to have him removed as leader because he didn't outperform what Andrew Scheer did in 2019? What does that look like for these other leaders?
1: I think you touched on on it pretty well right there on, on O'Toole. I think the most obvious challenge here is going to be O'Toole. You know, I was mentioning it earlier. He took that shift towards the center, right? That That really clashed with the way that he ran his leadership campaign, not, you know, less than two years earlier. And so that meant that, you know, he had to prove that that strategy that obviously was also probably hard to swallow for a lot of members of his caucus who might not feel that same way about, you know, a shift to the center – he had to prove that that strategy would work. I was mentioning the greater Toronto area, you know, that that he was flirting that he didn't make any gains there. So he's going to be facing some significant leadership contesting within his own caucus, within his own party. I mean, there have been conservative pundits even who have been basically not even almost stopping short of calling for his head throughout the campaign. Those voices are not going to be silenced at all. They're in fact probably going to be much louder. There are going to be more people who are going to be, let's say, emboldened by the conservatives' somewhat lackluster performance to speak up themselves. And so, yeah, he's going to have a lot of... Work. The next few weeks and potentially the next few months are not going to be a good time for Aaron O'Toole because he is going to have to quell any any displeasure in his caucus, and he's going to really have to prove to them that like this shift that we took. Uh, It's here to stay and it's going to work. It didn't maybe work as well as we hoped this time. But if history repeats itself, a minority government lasts on average about 18 months. That means we could be back in election come two springs. You know, that's relatively short and it's tough to find a leadership race in the middle. Beyond that, uh, I don't necessarily see Justin Trudeau going anywhere. He seemed uh, during his speech on election night, there wasn't a shred of disappointment that you know in his voice at all there didn't seem to be any remorse about having called the election and i haven't heard any echoes within his party that there's frustration at his leadership enough to push him out will he want to contest another election he has contested 3 already as a party leader Mm -hmm. Will he want to? Well, that's another question. That's actually my biggest question. But as of now, no inclination that he's leaving. Jagmeet Singh as well, uh, shortly, you know, the day after the election came out, was asked, you know, do you plan on staying on? Absolutely. He's very happy at the head of the party. People must be asking themselves within the party, when are we going to start expecting actual better results from Jagmeet Singh? Like what, when are we actually going to start feeling like, hey, we want to be government, we want to have a party leader that is prime minister instead of you know someone who kind of seems to be plateauing at about 25 out of 338 seats i'm not getting that sense that that's happening right away but time could prove me wrong and then yeah as you mentioned enemy paul really really hard to imagine that she is able to stay on as a leader i mean her her leadership was so incredibly contested going into the election, the weeks before the election, you know, her party was cutting the funding of her own campaign. She was being sabotaged on the inside. And then she finished so far behind the leader in her own writing. It's, It's just impossible to imagine she stays on. Whereas, yeah, Maxime Bernier is the People's Party of Canada and the People's Party of Canada as of now seems to be Maxime Bernier. And so I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he leaves on his own terms for the most part.
0: Well, there's plenty to watch for in the coming weeks as they get back to the work of governing in a minority parliament, and we'll be keeping a close eye on that when they do. Chris, as always, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Nardi. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.